0: Welcome back. Welcome to Left Porch. This is Talk and thank you so much for tuning in once more. This episode is a bit different than the others. It is not about the labor movement. It is not about prison labor or some service workers talking about their experience. It is about some philosophy and some philosophical concepts that we believe are of very deep importance into our everyday life. We're going to talk about neoliberalism, about Adorno, and the Frankfurt School, and one of his concepts culture industry. We're going to try to debunk capitalism and understand it a bit more, and we believe that we need this philosophical framework in order to fully understand it and to know how to critically assess it. As we believe at Left Porch and at Borden Labor Alliance, and also in our own daily lives, in our personal daily lives, nothing should be left unquestioned, everything is political. And this episode, I think, will offer us the foundation to what it means to live in a neoliberal state. There are so many things we take for granted nowadays. There are so many things we just accept as being the status quo. And so many of us still believe that history has actually ended after the fall of the Berlin Wall. After the fall of the Berlin Wall and, let's say, the Eastern Bloc collapsing. Well, we are here to say that history is not ended. It's in the making, and we're living through historical times right now. That one day someone will study in the history books and will be like what was happening in 2020 well please put your seatbelt it's gonna go it's gonna be such a crazy episode and i'm so thankful to my friend ciprian for doing this with me i'm beyond grateful for everyone at left porch and at Boden labor alliance for sticking with us and supporting us and i'm so thankful to all of you for listening to this without further ado please enjoy this episode Hello everyone, good evening, good morning, or just have a good day wherever you are right now in the world. I'm stock, a student of Borden Labor Alliance, and welcome to LeftWorch, our weekly podcast in which we discuss politics, labor issues, and just anything that aligns with, let's say, a leftist point of view and more or less can speak to the labor world and to the world itself. We've started this podcast a while ago and we haven't yet uploaded an episode, so when you will get this episode online, it might be already like a couple of weeks since we recorded it. But what we try to do is to create a very good quality one and to get the people first on board, to get our guests and to have a good conversation with them first. But today we have with us someone that comes from quite far away from the United States. We have a professor that comes from Cluj. And I would actually let him introduce himself and tell us a little bit about himself.
1: Uh, Thank you, Radu. My name is Ciprian Bogdan, and I'm from Romania. I live in Cluj-Napoca. Cluj-Napoca is in Transylvania. I suppose Americans know Transylvania. Um, I... I am a lecturer at the Faculty of European Studies. I also attended the Faculty of Philosophy. I have a Master's degree in Anthropology and a PhD in Philosophy. And uh, I'm very much interested in critical theory and mostly in the work of Theodor Adorno, a German critical theorist uh, that, I know, uh, tries to criticize the ide- ideological uh, uh, aspects of capitalism.
0: Okay, so Theodor Adorno, if I'm right, was he part of the Frankfurt School collective? Or?
1: Yeah, he's part of the first generation of Frankfurt School, Frankfurt School together with Mark Horkheimer, Herbert Marcuse, uh, Friedrich Pollock and others. And mm-hmm. um, then you have other two generations. This is the, the standard narrative. You have, for instance, Jürgen, Jürgen Habermas and, uh, uh, and others after him.
0: Mm. I was asking because I actually I think we stumbled upon Adorno and Orkheimer quite a lot in university but I also saw uh, maybe another trend with them becoming way more popular those days I think I see them a bit more in popular media and maybe in critical magazines as well do you think that's the case or
1: yeah I mean they have this famous concept of culture industry they were trying to add a uh, new level of sophistication to the Marxist narrative, at the same time having also a critical stance uh, towards, narr- to mar- towards Marxism itself, to some extent. Hmm? So cultural industries is a concept through which uh, they tried to uh, to point out that culture itself becomes a commodity in, in capitalism, mm-hmm. already in the 20th century. And uh, it uh, allows for various forms of social manipulation, uh, and reification, according to them, and uh, they have very interesting uh, analysis on how this uh, this uh, works, on how cultural products uh, uh, mm-hmm. lend themselves, you know, um, um, uh, I mean, they, they, they become part of this of this uh, this capitalist manipulation, if you want. I mean, very roughly speaking, mm-hmm. uh, this is something that you couldn't find in, in Marxism because they believe that, I know. Uh, culture is something different uh, than than economy and economic processes but they already saw the fact that culture itself becomes becomes once again a commodity so mm-hmm. we can talk more about that maybe even give some example but uh, I know depending on mm-hmm. how you uh, you feel about it or you know how you want to put the questions so.
0: No, I, I think I think culture is one of those aspects with which we're also concerned at our university. That's why I was so curious about it since mm-hmm. we talk quite a lot about it. we we talk from I think maybe a bit of a different perspective. We talk a lot we talk about the culture of of white middle upper middle class north no, uh, New England schools since we have so many people that come from very rich we call them old money people mm-hmm. and we have und- identified some kind of culture around there mm-hmm. but Mm-hmm. Would, would, for example, Adorno talk in any way about this type of culture or is he more concerned with cultural production such as films, music, or maybe even video games to be more contemporary?
1: Uh, well, according to Adorno, what happens in 20th century is that the old popular culture, if you want, um, becomes uh, part of a huge industry designed to make mm-hmm. profit and in the same time to, you know, to... to uh, make people accept the status quo so mm-hmm. uh they believe they they, uh, they would go rather for this kind of analysis of uh movies they 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 lived in los angeles for quite a while for for several mm-hmm. years uh they even wanted to make a movie actually uh, oh. so uh they 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 uh, adorno for instance has very interesting uh analysis i mean on 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 movies but not only on movies on 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 uh, he has Uh, a very very interesting book starts down to earth in which he Mm -hmm. analyzes astrology and how astrology uh, uh, operates you know uh, or generates this kind of reification I was mentioned mentioning before Uh, and and it's very quite interesting I I really recommend the book so Mm -hmm. I would say trying to answer your question um, I would say that Adorno uh, is more interested in at the macro level. I mean, at the way uh, mm-hmm. capitalism generates this cultural industry, uh, and uh, less on the. Particular cultures, I don't know this um, American middle class culture from from North America. I think he would say that this culture is already tainted or mediated by capitalism. So I think mm-hmm. his approach would be: uh, this kind of uh, this kind of cultures uh, actually are not, uh, are not are not able to extract themselves from capitalism, but they are part of it, and mm-hmm. they uh, and you should take that. I mean, you should understand them as being part of this of this totality i'm Mm. not sure whether i make sense but
0: (laughs) no no you do i think i i was actually i mean maybe it's a bit of a far stretch i was going a bit back to marx i think when he was saying about the fact that when a consumer engages in an exchange process he doesn't necessarily understand what is going on he just you know gets part be- becomes part of that not voluntarily but almost involuntarily mm-hmm. it's like the automatic subject creation i'm curious if it's the same with culture you know like you cannot mm-hmm. escape capitalism you will create culture within the mm-hmm. within the limits set by capitalism and i think i think the way i was looking at culture before was uh, and maybe with hollywood films or netflix or i don't know hulu was the fact that there was this concept that was the way I was thinking about it was was being puked and digested and puked and digested on on and on and on. And it was just coming in a different package. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the way I was thinking. And people were just claiming themselves to be, wow, I'm so revolutionary. Look at us. We mm-hmm. we have X and Z, but at the core is the same film. You know, some people <laughs> fall in love, maybe someone kills one another, mm-hmm. the world is basically almost collapsing. And then at the end someone comes and rescues mm-hmm. the world. And it's usually an individual.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I have two things to say here. First of all, <laughs> you are you talking about Marx. Uh, actually, uh, Marx has a very interesting analysis, what he calls commodity fetishism, in which mm. he tries to point out that uh, capitalism generates this kind of almost spontaneous ideology uh, that uh, doesn't, I mean, that makes us uh, blind about the social production or the social process that, uh, that generates a certain product. We are, Mm -hmm. in a sense, blinded. I mean, we we don't see this whole process involving exploitation. We only focus on the object itself, on the commodity itself, as being valuable in itself, as an object. But Marx Mm -hmm. says that uh, by by doing this, uh, we we miss a lot of things, uh, namely this capitalist exploitation, this social production behind the the process. But what I was trying to say here is that, actually, um, Adorno takes this further and applies it to culture. I mean, there is this kind of fetishism at the cultural level, cultural fetishism, if you want. And he tries to, to, to show how this works, how these products actually uh, are presented as such as they are. I mean, uh, they are presented to the public as being, I don't know, uh, as having this kind of aura and Having mm. this kind of uh, magic inside inside them, as ha- having value inside them, and hiding, of course, the whole process that generates it, and the, and this process is usually uh, mobilized by pro- profit, but also by control, social control.
0: Cool.
1: Um, now, this is the first one, uh, and I want I want wanted to also to add another thing, but I think I'm I, I forgot what I wanted to say. <laughs> you, you you mentioned something before, and I I. Uh. Maybe
0: while you are trying to remember it, I actually have something maybe to say about this. I th- I think this uh, this criticism of of fetishism and this aura we have around objects is so relevant nowadays. Since I think three days ago, there on the fourteenth of October there were the Blizzard, uh, Activision Blizzard. I am sorry, the game company that produces World of Warcraft and the latest Call of Duties. Uh, actually, the workers are going on strike and I think they went and they might still be on strike. Mm-hmm. And w- And I think why this is so relevant is because video games have been for a very long time those mm. products of culture which which were believed to be kind of outside of the capitalist system. Working in video games is always perceived to be the dream that you get a chance to create art and mm. you will not be exploited. It will all be you know, so lovely that you get a chance to work on a shooter. Well, at the end of the day, you know, maybe 10 years after this dream was over and over, uh, let's say, vomited and, uh, mm. and digested again, as I said previously with this very brutal metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of became clear that workers are exploited in this field. And it became clear mm-hmm. that the games, video games, especially coming from big publishers, and not only, are products and are commodities at the end of the day and they Mm -hmm. are made in mind not with the simple desire of well we're going to tell a story about world war ii no we're going to tell a story about world war ii because we know it sells and it's not that controversial and it allows us to make a lot of money while Mm -hmm. also selling you the dream that you are working on a project that advances humanity Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and i think this can be expanded to other forms of media creation i think now is podcasts You know, they're such a new form. They're such a new, let's say, environment. I think they've been around for maybe 10, 12, maybe maximum 15 years. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we have yet developed a full analysis of their production. And we might still live with this aura that they're outside of the system. They're just so Mm -hmm. countercultural. But maybe in five years, we'll get back that and you realize it's still a product of capitalism at the end of the day.
1: Mm -hmm yeah you're right uh, and i uh, i remember now what i was trying to say i mean i was trying mm-hmm. to say that uh sometimes adorno in a sense um i, I think there is um mm-hmm. uh, a a tendency in adorno to overemphasize this uh, aspect of uh, i don't know commodity cultural fetishism in the cases i mean think about movies for instance mm-hmm. uh often he was accused of being an elitist. I mean, uh, he, he, he offered a very sharp critique of various Hollywood movies. But yeah. in the same time, we have to be aware, or to, to be more uh, nuanced here, I, I, maybe even more nuanced than Adorno himself, and accept the fact that there are sometimes movies that are uh, sophisticated enough and uh, uh, powerful enough to offer a social critique uh, and uh, that cinema, for instance, or other cultural products, are not automatically, you know, prone to con- to, to control or to manipulate people. So there are often uh, the di- directors or, or whatever who uh, who try to escape this kind of mechanism, you know, of uh, just giving another version of the last movie or with the same ending, but uh, some some differences in the in the narrative and things like that. So. Uh, maybe mm. that was—it uh, was like uh <laughs> way to <laughs> criticize Adorno himself to some extent.
0: Yeah, I've—I I've, remember seeing this comment a little bit about the elitism in Adorno, but I think it's also—it uh, might be a bit relevant to tell that I think he was trained as a musicologist, mm-hmm. or or he had this very deep fascination, I think at least for classical music. So and he was actually
1: maybe... he, even a musician, a composer, but he oh. wrote extensively on music. Yeah, he had a huge. Uh, uh, knowledge about about this about this field, and uh, he worked with uh, I, I think Alan Berg, but I, I don't want to be mistaken. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was he he was very very knowledgeable. So, yeah, that's true.
0: Quite quite a fascinating life this Adorno, this Adorno guy had. But I'm very curious uh, to see maybe how can we how can we use him? Let's say maybe his theories. How can we how can we talk about him in the context in which we're living right now? Because, uh, I mean, you can disagree with the idea that I have about the context, but I feel at least in Romania, we are going through a very strong neoliberalization maybe of the country. I think the voices that maybe are fighting for social services and uh, let's say a more social democratic approach, I think are very few and are often, uh, let's say, silenced and now mm-hmm. neoliberalism with its all focus on individual with its all beauties of the private market are just taking such high place and, and they're taking just so much ground that for me it's just sometimes scary to think about to think about what will the future be like and sometimes i turn to adorno to think of culture industry and maybe the movies that the corporate people consume and how they just feel so enlightened by those and mm-hmm. and do you do you think it's still relevant nowadays or
1: well, I- I think that maybe we should talk a bit about neoliberalism mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. make make a distinction. I operate with a distinction here, mm-hmm. uh, and then we can move on to Romania and even to Cluj. Um, mm-hmm. I think, and I will go back to Adorno in, in a moment. I, mm-hmm. I once again I want to go back to a distinction uh, that I think is useful in order to make sense of what neoliberalism is to some extent. So mm-hmm. I would I would distinguish between ideology and uh, what I call infra-ideology. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think this is, this is useful. Why? Because if you think about ideology, ideology has this kind of uh, very mainstream uh, definition. Um, uh, ideology implies ideas or beliefs that uh, are le- more or less coherent, that mobilize people to, uh, towards political action. And, of course, this political action can have three main expressions. For instance, people want to preserve something, uh, preserve, I don't know, a tradition. Usually, conservatives uh, uh, have this kind of approach. Uh, they want to modify social reality, and this comes here comes liberalism. Or they want to revolutionize, you know, social reality, and here comes, of course, socialism. So you mm-hmm. have this uh, very basic uh, um, definition, and from from this, I mean, if you try to look at neoliberalism from this point of view, from the, uh, through the lenses of this concept ideology. Uh, neoliberalism actually is uh, a mix, we might say, of two ideologies. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, neoliberalism started, let's put it like this, or at least, I mean, emerged as a political power in the 1980s with uh, Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan in Great Britain and, and U.S. Uh, of course, it has uh, it has some. Uh, I mean, the basic ideas were uh, forged forged before that. Uh, but what is interesting that these two leaders managed to, you know, to change the previous ideological consensus, if you want. That was more a social democratic consensus, if you want. So they mm-hmm. managed to change that, and uh, they also managed to to spread neoliberalism. Okay, unevenly, I would say, in the world. So going back to to what I was trying to say is that uh, is that. Uh, once again, neoliberalism is a mix of two ideologies, namely liberalism on one hand, this idea that for the free market is you know uh it's fundamental and we should uh we should not let the state go there and on the other hand, conservatism uh this mm-hmm. idea of law and order uh this idea that the state needs to preserve the social order against uh, whatever uh i don't know minorities people who want to to, they want anarchy and things like that. So mm-hmm. you have this very interesting uh, hybrid between, on one hand, uh, a weak state in economy, for instance, and other social areas like education, healthcare, and so on, and a very strong state in the repressive side. I mean, at the repressive side, you know, with a strong army mm-hmm. and strong police. So I would say this is the first, if you want, approach towards neoliberalism. This kind of mm-hmm. hybrid, ideological hybrid. Now and where comes Adorno? Well, Adorno comes when we talk about infra, what I call infra ideology. Uh, why infra ideology? Because I believe that there are also there is also an ideological dimension uh, in, uh, in, in, in in common sense ideas and uh, and, and beliefs. I mean, I, I talk about infra ideology when I think about ideas. More or less systematic that are considered, for instance, commonsensical, um, mm. and they are often that's why they are often invisible. You don't notice them right away. I mean, you use them like think about movies, think about uh, yeah. uh, ideas that you con- consider to be natural. You know, and these mm. ideas, uh, in a sense, operate in a very. I mean, they they, they legitimize, I would say, uh, automatically the, the status quo without even noticing that they do, okay? So, infra-ideology, I believe, uh, goes very well with Adorno, but also with this uh, Marxist definition of ideology, even with commodity fetishism, because uh, the Marxist tradition, critical tradition, tries to unveil this kind of ideological uh, dimension operating at the less visible level in our lives, you know? And uh, once again, Adorno is very interesting because he he uh, uncovers uh, the various layers of this uh, uh, of, of how ideolo- ideology operates in 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 very uh, ordinary uh, products. I mean, things that that are around us, but we we fail to notice that they have this kind of ideological dimension. Mm. So, uh, I would I would say if you. Uh, try to to conclude in a sense. I would mm-hmm. say that neoliberalism is also this infra ideology when it became uh, common sense for us. When mm-hmm. we, for instance, one example of the fact that neoliberalism is common sense for us. I I, I have to 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 say that I I uh, I'm a bit um, amazed by the fact that at the TV, at TV you can. Uh, I could see at some point uh, a show about Kardashians, uh, and why is that? Because I I'm old enough to to compare things. I also lived during the communist regime in Romania, and also in the 90s, and, and so on and so forth. So, what is what is striking for me is the fact that today it's very common sense to believe that rich people are social mo- models. I mean, Kardashians are not something that you criticize, but actually they, they are you you admire. And that means that you admire those who are wealthy, you know. So uh, mm-hmm. being wealthy is a is becomes became uh, has become a role model for for many for many people. They it's so entrenched already, and so so natural that you don't even question this as being uh, legitimate or, or not. But I remember that uh, a few decades ago, that would have been impossible. I mean, to 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 show off with your money as like, like they do. I mean, like gradationan doing this show or whatever uh would have been po- impossible would have been i know uh, <laughs> uh shocking to say the least
0: okay yeah. so so
1: this is this is one example how how infra ideology works you know um so I would say that neoliberalism has become such a such an invisible ideology that that in a sense operates without being even aware of it i would Think things just think think about US i mean you are from you, you live in US for me it's striking that for instance conservatives say that biden is a socialist that's oh yeah <laughs> that's that's insane but that sounds, says something about neoliberalism because uh the the leftist ideas are uh, in a sense defined already defined in a in a space by this neoliberal still neoliberal consensus i believe that this consensus uh, starts to crack but that's mm-hmm. another story but still you know uh you can you can say about biden who's a centrist that he's a socialist so that says a lot i mean about about who is still in charge in uh putting labels on, on that's the politicians. True. i hope that's I true yeah made myself clear enough okay
0: no i do i do think, i do think you you made some amazing points and. uh uh, and when I, when you were talking about this, I mean, I was ta- I was thinking of very of very Romanian uh, uh, subjects about this idea of rich people that get to have such a strong platform around themselves, and I think mm-hmm. maybe for yeah. us one one famous case nowadays is uh, I hope I get his name right is Stefan Mandaki, the owner of the hotels and. The, and the fast food chain Spartan. Do you know about oh, this guy?
1: Okay. I, I think I heard about him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: He has a huge platform around himself by being a successful entrepreneur from, mm-hmm. and, and this whole romanticization around the platform which he's built because he comes from the underdeveloped region of Moldova, which mm-hmm. is not a country but our eastern region, and mm-hmm. he made it on his back. And look, he has a famous hotel. He has mm-hmm. this and yeah. that. And yeah, it's so yeah, fascinating, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, not only him, but also those upcoming YouTube superstars, because mm-hmm. we can call them vloggers, but I think they go beyond that. I think you can call them superstars and how much of a platform they get. I think right now, one of the biggest things happening in, in the celebrity world is the, uh, is one of our famous YouTubers, mm-hmm. uh, having such a strong voice in changing education. And, uh, and I was thinking about that actually. I was thinking quite a lot in the fact that, this guy doesn't necessarily have any training in pedagogy and anything like that, but because he has such a strong platform and such a strong admiration for what he builds around himself, he's able to seduce people into into agreeing mm-hmm. with him and giving him a lot of importance. Mm-hmm. And I was always considering those as manufacturing consent. You know, you basically...
1: Mm-hmm. You,
0: I think I think society nowadays, you know, as you said, I I think the consent uh, our consensual understanding is is neoliberalism and uh, we don't necessarily try to go outside of its spectrum and we try to analyze every, everything from from the limits it offers us. Mm-hmm. Because I think I could go even further and think of NGOs, for example. The mm-hmm. amount of trust we have in NGOs is insane. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. what I keep thinking all the time. I'm like, wow, why do we really trust NGOs? And what's so bad about the state in many cases? You know, mm-hmm. but we keep trusting them because I think the discourse was enforced and reinforced that
1: mm-hmm. we should believe them. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think you can bring many examples uh, mm-hmm. here from Romania, of course, and. But- I think America now is—I uh, mean, with Trump—is very much. uh I put this uh, on the top of the list? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, he's the best uh, here. <laughs> he's the best. <laughs> he likes to be the best. Yeah. That's so true. He just said, I think, yesterday that if he's not gonna win, he might leave the United States of America, and everyone got very excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
1: okay. I'm not that excited because I don't live
0: in the U.S. So yeah, probably yeah. He won't come here. I think he'll get a huge platform in Romania. To be honest, yeah, 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 yeah. I think we get a lot of Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the sad part. But I was so curious. Actually, that the way I ask about neoliberalism is that we often, I, I mean, even in academia, when because I had classes that talk. Uh, about neoliberalism let 's say for an entire class or maybe for just one or two one or two lectures, we often just relate to the u s and the u k but I think neoliberalism is this project that unfortunately did not only stop at the u s and the u k and when mm-hmm all over the place in a form or another. And I think yeah. it went. And, and I think people f- maybe failed to notice this, you know, people still regard Romania as, yeah, we're a post-communist country and that's it. And I think what they fail to regard is that we had such a huge influx of Hollywood, typical Hollywood films. Individualism is skyrocketing in our country. Yeah. We are losing trust in, in state institutions and we believe so much in private institutions because this was one of the aspects I want to tell you was that... I think amongst my generations and people from my own town, which is a very small town in southern Romania, there is such a sense of trust in private hospitals that I don't understand, to be honest. It just, it just goes beyond any limits. Like when I hear people be like, oh, yeah, my my, uh, my wife is going to give birth in a private hospital because I simply just don't trust the public. And I'm like, why? You know, it's just, yeah, I just saw the news on some news channel that, of course, take the worst examples of the hospital and show them giving one slice of salami as the meal but i've never actually went in the public hospital in my town which has actually quite good conditions.
1: Mhm. Yeah, i agree with that. In the same hearing for which my wife just gave birth and he did that at a state hospital and the conditions were excellent. So of course there are other hospitals in which conditions are not that not that good state hospitals. But uh, yeah you're right perfectly right. I mean i or, or sometimes tell my students that concerning you know this infra ideological uh consensus, uh, think about how the state was, was was viewed in 1950s or 1960s and how it is viewed mm-hmm. now. And what is striking is that in the 1950s or 60s, the state was the, the more responsible actor and not the private one because the state was not looking for profit, while the the, the private uh, enterprise was looking only for the profit. So back then, the state was much more responsible than the private uh, uh, actors. Nowadays, the things changed radically in the sense that the state the state now actually sh- is viewed like a business. I mean, the state should look for the deficits, uh, should look for things like that, and not for other things like, I don't know, uh, social inclusion, uh, trying to redistribute things and try to to, to preserve some sort of uh, social coherence. And uh, No, the state should be, sh- is like a business, like Trump himself believes. I mean, Trump, in a sense, is the very embodiment of this kind of neoliberal approach because he is the one who sees politics as being a business. Even international politics is simply a business. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's not accidental that Trump actually emerged, I would say.
0: Well, you've made it through half of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening so far and we hope you enjoyed it. If you actually like this podcast and would love to share the news with your friends please rate, review, and share this podcast with everyone you know, with your family, with your friends, with anyone you know, even with that annoying neighbor that doesn't give you peace and continuously sends you messages. Maybe this is just a Romanian thing because we have it. People send us memes and recipes all the time, even though we don't talk to them necessarily, and we sometimes respond with emojis. So rather than responding with the emoji you have on your Facebook messenger, send this podcast to them. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Thank you so much. It means a lot to us, to the people behind Left Porch and the people at Bottom Labour Alliance. That's so true. I was actually listening to a criticism. I think it. maybe we should give a shout out to this. I think it was coming from uh, from Vox Explained, which is actually, it's, it's quite a neoliberal podcast in itself, but they were, they were making this point that when New Labour basically shook hands with the conservatives in the UK and with Bill Clinton all over the ocean, they didn't necessarily only create a new class of Democrats, but they also created the new class of Republicans and conservatives, mm-hmm. which were to follow this consensus. And someone like Trump happening is not accidental at all. And mm-hmm. people should realize that, mm-hmm. you, you know, because this was one of the aspects of the U.S. election that kind of kind of angered me in a sense. They're like, well, it's not our present. We didn't lead to the creation of this. America is so much more. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think it led to the creation of this. And uh, and mm-hmm. it might be the case in Romania so in the next four years or something, you know, when we'll have our next presidential elections
1: mm-hmm.
0: with another neoliberal monster or someone mm-hmm. like that.
1: Even though at this point I believe that things change or start to change, yeah. I really think that this consensus starts to crack and you can see it all around. I think the, this pandemic is the, the first sign that the consensus starts to crack and uh, Romania will follow, you know, uh, America and other. That's why I look at the American elections, because what happens there will also have an, have an impact in Romania. Uh, we Romanian know much more about America than we know about our neighbors because of <laughs> Hollywood and uh, things like that. So we we leave the American uh, American uh, dream from afar because of television. And uh, yep. uh, in the same time, we are great friends of America. So what happens there impacts us. That's why I really believe that this uh, neoliberal consensus with with will gradually change in America, so that it will also change in Romania.
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, this is so true. That, that's that's. Uh, I hope it will be this case. To be honest, but one one aspect why actually I'm quite concerned right now, and uh, and I'm dedicating some of my free time uh, researching this is actually video games, and I think video mm-hmm. games are still underanalyzed as, let's mm-hmm. call them tools of propaganda. And I think they, I think inherently they they tend to be a bit more conservative, especially mm-hmm. the first person shooters and maybe even RPG role playing games, which you know are based so much on the idea of accumulation and individual prosperity and rankings and so on and so mm-hmm. forth.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And cool. I think up until we don't develop a criticism of those, which which really they occupy a huge part of many kids, especially mm-hmm. now in quarantine and mm-hmm. during COVID. I think we might be prone to repeating. The Actually, same.
1: you are perfectly right here, Ardo. Uh, I, I I should be more concerned about that. My my, I have a uh, a kid. He's nine years old, and he plays, of course, uh, video games. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are some worrying signs when he mm-hmm. tells me that he wants to be rich and stuff like this. So yeah, you're right about that. Uh, and it, it's it's, a, it's fascinating field study. So.
0: It's to. very fascinating. Yeah, it's it's like, uh, I, I think neoliberalism made it possible for it, you know, to, to create consent around it and to create a status quo without necessarily anyone challenging it. And mm. and even nowadays when people are talking about politics in video games, because we get some outrageous titles like as Call of Duty Cold War, and people still claim that, oh, this game is not political. Well, mm. it's called Cold War and this thing was inherently <laughs> political. Mm, uh, mm. I th- I think we need to go deeper into them and understand mm. why why is it so pleasuring to shoot people, you know, and uh, <laughs> and who made it possible for that? And
1: yeah, I I remember, but now I I go back to movies. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, how many mostly American movies are about you know stabbing uh, the others on the back? I mean, uh, how many are about competition and cynicism and things like that? Uh, so. Here you can easily see how neoliberalism works as this kind of deeper consensus in which competition becomes naturalized, you know, and the yeah. movies are the best example, but also video games and others mm-hmm. where where uh, life is viewed only through the lenses of competition and of this kind of cynical approach in which you cannot trust the others. Uh, the other is, I don't know, is a black box for us and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's another way to...
0: Yeah. It, it feels a bit like so, some kind of social Darwinism at the end of the day, like the, yeah. the the fittest one will survive. But I don't want to derail this conversation. Maybe we'll have another time to talk about films and video games since I don't have very much experience in films. But I think I, I bring some from the video games field. Uh, and I would actually love to talk a bit about, let's say, Cluj, which mm-hmm. I think... I actually saw it defined in, in an article, and I, I really need to look for this article to put it in the description. It was defined by someone as being the Silicon Valley of Eastern Europe. <laughs> Would you agree with this definition? If so, why? Or is it, is it bigger than this?
1: Uh, maybe maybe to give a little, a little bit of context yeah. here, because I, I think maybe we should, uh, briefly talk about Romania and then okay. maybe it's it's right. a good a good way to to contextualize our discussion for 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 people from around the world. So concerning Romania, R- Romania, okay, we know the story in 1999. You had the revolution, uh, the communist regime collapsed. Also in uh, Central Eastern Europe, and later on in US, USSR collapsed, and that allowed all these countries, you know, to to be part of a transition from, uh, from the communi- from communism to, to capitalism, and this this transition was very murky one. I mean uh, you could choose shock therapy or you could choose some gradual change. Romania at, at first till 1996 chose gradual change. Romania still opted for a very strong presence of the state in the economy, for instance, but in 1996 you had this shock therapy that generated a very important social... I mean, had very important and dire social consequences. I mean, uh, during 1996 and 2000, Romania, the industrial production in Romania fell with 20%. Its GDP fell with 6% in 1998, and then 4% in 1999, so on and so forth. The poverty rate doubled. I mean, you can bring all kinds of of things here. Uh, So after that slowly neoliberalism became part of, I mean, managed to impose itself in in Romanian society. Mm -hmm. So uh, Romania, today, I would say, is a neoliberal society together with uh, countries like uh, Lithuania, Latvia, Bulgaria. That means what? That means that the state uh, tries to intervene as little as possible in economic processes. Okay, this is, uh, I, I talk here in a more uh, idealized manner, because the state still intervenes into economy. But still, I mean, the belief in the market is, is supreme in Romania.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, and, and you can see uh, this kind of neoliberal approach in the, in the level of inequality in Romania. Romania is one among the most unequal societies in Europe. And the social mm-hmm. exclusion is also very high. I mean, I think we are the second one in the European Union. So thirty percent of our of our Romanian population is at the risk of being socially excluded. I mean, because of this mm. of this inequality.
0: Can uh, you provide us with, with just a, like small definition of social exclusion? I mean,
1: uh, social. I mean, that means uh, you are uh, because of because you are very poor. You are basically excluded from uh, all the benefits of social life. I, I don't have a better mm-hmm. definition here. So it simply means that you are. You are so poor that you are, are, do, do not enjoy, you know, the things that mm. the, the majority still enjoys. I mean, uh, I, I don't have a better definition. I think there is a better definition than I, I, I sat here. So, uh, no, sorry, I think sorry,
0: I, sorry for that. No, I, I, think, I think it's a perfect one. Thank uh, you.
1: And uh, so, so this is the neoliberal approach that uh, imposes itself in Romania. There are other examples. For instance, in Central and Eastern Europe, there are other countries that are, didn't go this way. Or haven't mm-hmm. gone this way, like for instance Slovenia, well, Slovenia has a very uh, low level of inequality, precisely because they allow the state to be a very big, uh, an important part of economy, and uh, and uh, that's why you, you have a, a much more, uh, much lower level of once again uh, of, of inequality, and the same goes, you know, to some extent uh, when you think about Hungary or even or Slovakia in, in Southeast Eastern Europe. But there is another thing about Romania, and I I would very briefly talk here about Romanian intellectuals. Mm -hmm. It's interesting concerning the intellectuals that already in 1990s uh, many intellectuals, most intellectuals I would say, were already liberal or uh, social liberal in 1990s or, you know, but basically center-right intellectuals, or even right-wing intellectuals. Uh, And at some point, in, after 2000, I would say, the Romanian society slowly caught up with these intellectuals and became or internalized these kind of neoliberal ideas. Okay? Uh, mm-hmm. There is an interesting example. I, I, I once wrote an article about a famous Romanian intellectual called Horia Roman Patapievich, who mm-hmm. in the 1990s, he wrote several books in which, I mean, in a very brave manner, because we, in Romania in 1990s, to say those things were was pretty pretty daring. He mm-hmm. considered himself to be a pro-capitalist and a libertarian. I mean, well, he did that in a very I don't know, blunt manner. And he was uh, pretty criticized in that period. But already in 2000, he published a, a book called The Recent Man, uh, okay. in which basically tries to... Uh, justify capitalism, I mean, tries to put together capitalism and theology. So, wow. uh, he, he, he tries this kind of uh, trick of, you know, I mean, he doesn't automatically justify capitalism through theology. He says capitalism is a mundane thing while theology is out there for whatever. Uh, but still, there is this kind of sense that the two work together. You know, these, these are meant to go together, you know, capitalism and religion. And, yeah. what, and if you look around, well, when Patapievich wrote this uh, text, I mean, many people were more suspicious, you know. But if you look around now in Romania at the public discourse, what you will find is that many of his ideas actually were already internalized, accepted mm-hmm. by, by, ma- by many people, even if you look at, at TV and things like that. So uh, th- that, that says a lot, I would say. I mean, it says that uh, these ideas uh, are mainstream. I... I remember sorry for this digression I remember that I presented this paper of mine when I was in Poland and my Polish uh, colleagues were a bit were a bit uh, surprised to have intellectuals who have this kind of very pro-capitalist stance you know and mm-hmm. libertarian stance and religious they, they they didn't have that in Poland that that is in a sense symptomatic I would say you know if you compare Romania with other parts of the world okay so uh now maybe we can talk briefly about Cluj and uh, and say <laughs> something about it. I, I only wanted to, in a sense, to 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 have this larger context because otherwise Cluj was like uh, like an asteroid <laughs> or some some sort of.
0: That's uh, true. Ex-
1: <laughs> so so no, what about? No, I just
0: want to say thank you for this, honestly. Uh I I did a mistake of asking you about clue straightforward, but I think this introduction about Romania was was fantastic. And if I may say a word, uh, I am I'm just new to the academic field. I'm in my junior year of undergraduate, which is the third year. So I, I I'm still far away from actually pursuing a PhD or becoming mm-hmm. a professor or a lecturer. Uh but when I come back to Romania and I look at Romanian intellectuals and by intellectuals, I do not mean professors. I just mean a well-established class, let's say, mm-hmm. kind of separate kind of ruling, trying to create some consensus. I often see those very religious, very almost fanatic values and this strong sense of uh, capitalism equaling mm-hmm. liberty. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I mean, probably this was actually the famous case of, uh, is his name Mihai Shora, our famous philosopher? And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, the advertisement yeah. for, uh, for the big retail store Emag, <laughs> yeah, which, yeah,
1: exactly. said,
0: which said liberty <laughs> every day and now does their slogan, actually. And yeah, it's just yeah. so weird to, to witness that. Yeah, yeah, Because this comes from one of the philosophers that more or less is respected and, mm-hmm. and decides so much with those businesses that at the end of the day treat their workers poorly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. But, but, yeah, but, but I'm yeah, very yeah. curious. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't want to interrupt you.
1: No, no, no. I, I didn't want to add anything here. I just wanted to move to talk a bit about Cluj. Yeah. But okay, so what I was, what about Cluj? Well, Cluj is the second. Um, city in Romania after Bucharest. I mean, here Mm. in Cluj, you have this kind of local pride, I mean, that we are in competition with with Bucharest. And uh, Mm. uh, if we fantasize a lot, I mean, we even imagine that we will win the competition. (laughs) Uh, Cluj is a very interesting example because uh, if you look at the history, the post-communist history, uh, during 1992 to 2004, uh, the mayor of Cluj was a nationalist. Include you have yeah. a um, you have a Hungarian minority and in, during that time you know there, there was this ethnic tension between Romanians and, and Hungarians and Romanians uh, voted for George Funak, who was a nationalist basically had a very aggressive nationalist discourse I mean almost pathological and uh, after that in 2004 uh, you have uh, you have. I mean, the mayor, I mean, you have Emil book as, as mayor with some interruption. Interruption, uh, And that already, in a sense, was the sign that Cluj became, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, transformed says, from a nationalist, I mean, a bastion of, of nationalism in Romania to a bastion of neoliberalism in Romania, I would say. Uh, because uh, the new mayor, or mayors at some point, uh, realized that Cluj is a very has a lot of potential because it has a very strong university, and mm-hmm. it managed to attract a lot of young people. Also, they managed to uh, attract uh, foreign investments, uh, IT uh, developers, and things like things like that. And and nowadays Cluj, in a sense, be, uh, has become a model for model city for Romania. I mean, if you look at the newspapers in Romania, you will see that Cluj. Is ahead of every other city. I mean, it's the vanguard of of uh, development because we have, we implement the concept of smart city. We have smart streets. Uh, I don't know all kinds of smart things, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, because we have cultural events like uh, I don't know Transylvanian Film Festival and things like that, so uh, it has this kind of very rosy image around in in the public discourse. Once in a while, we have a more critical. Uh, article, But usually, usually Cluj is, is seen as being the best place to live in Romania. Mm-hmm. But of course, this uh, hides away many problems. I mean, the the, the city has the highest rents in, in, in the wow. country, has the highest prices for houses or apartments. Uh, uh, you have places where, where the Roma minority lives in, in, in extreme poverty, like, for instance, Patarut, uh the, the 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 mayor or the, the I mean the, the the administration did not try to 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 intervene and not to to redistribute or to to, to construct uh, to construct houses for for these uh, for these people uh, living all to the market and of course the market is not interested in these people because they don't they don't make profits out of it so uh i think it's symptomatic for Cluj nowadays uh, what uh, an article said about it. I mean, they compared Cluj with San Francisco, and for mm-hmm. me it's very interesting because, like San Francisco, you know, uh, uh, at least from. I mean, this is the, the, the how how I think about San Francisco. San Francisco was, you know, the Bohemian city in America, exactly. where artists artists uh, went and they lived there, and it was a very, I don't know, it was a. It was a city that welcomed uh, people that were not necessarily rich, but they they, uh, they were creative, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and... You know, nowadays, things radically changed, radically changed, at least. Maybe you can add something here, Ado. I mean, I mm-hmm. probably know more than I do about San Francisco. But in a sense, Cluj is in the same situation. I mean, it, it has a very strong university. A lot, it has a lot of students, but in the same time, you know, the the life, life is much more expensive than in other parts of the world, uh, parts of Romania. Uh, and uh, uh, my, my problem with Cluj, I love actually the city, I, I really am fond of it. But the problem with Cluj is that uh, there is a lot of, I mean, that Cluj has become once again, in a sense, the embodiment of this kind of neoliberal utopia for Romania in which you can you can, you can can have a good work, but at the same time, you know, have a quality of life, you have a cultural events nearby and things like that. And mm-hmm. the problem is that you, uh, by, by projecting this kind of rose image, what you forget is that many people in the in, in city uh, live, uh, I mean, barely survive. You know, even students have problems with, uh, with rents because they cannot pay it. I mean, the, many of them are, uh, encounter this problem. They have to live, uh, I don't know. You know in, a, in a very small flat, they have to leave five, six uh, uh, students in in that flat. So there are many problems that oh. are not addressed by, by by administration. Doesn't mean that there are no no good things in Cluj. Actually, many things are very nice. But still, uh, what I was trying to point out is this kind of you know ideological uh, operation <laughs> present here, in which you present something but you exclude some something else.
0: That's very you, true.
1: Okay, so that was my...
0: No, it's like, it's very structural in nature. It's mm-hmm. like the, the inequalities and everything that's happening. Because I remember I have a couple of, from the city from which I'm coming from. It's quite typical of us to, let's say, go to Bucharest or Brasov mm-hmm. to very big university cities. Very few people end up in Cluj. But I have a couple of friends that went to, mm-hmm. to Cluj for university. And they were telling me how they had to pick up jobs to
1: mm-hmm. actually
0: be able to... To not only like live a comfortable life, but even to survive.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and
0: mm-hmm. there was this whole. I think we're going back to the whole neoliberal approach of "look, ma, I made it." You know, mm-hmm. finally, like after so much striving and after almost collapsing on the floor in the kitchen <laughs> where I'm working, I'm finally here. <laughs> that, that was a discourse around it as well, you know, and uh, and it made me quite sad because I don't think you should you should have to work yourself, you know, to exhaustion to be able to afford to leave somewhere mm-hmm. only in order to be able to attend university no, i totally agree with that so but, the, but i'm very curious also about collusion the way that um that i think it got such an aura nowadays and everyone keeps talking about you're right and even in my region in valachia or Muntenia, as we know it people keep talking about Cluj from a very from a very very let's say positive perspective but I think one of the things we're not seeing is this poverty and, let's say, unequal access to, let's say, object, uh, object to services and even mm-hmm. like cultural events. Mm-hmm. Since when you have to work forty hours a week and go to school, your access mm-hmm. to them completely diminished. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious uh, to think of them in terms of, let's say, uh, maybe labor a bit. Like, how is work perceived to be inclusive? Because when we hear about work inclusion, I only hear of IT and finance people. To be honest. <laughs> I have not heard about anyone like doing the sewage system, building houses, or anything like this.
1: Uh, yeah, that's an interesting topic. I, I would say I, I said that in, also in other contexts. I, I believe that neoliberalism, in a sense of uh, gives, I mean, uses an ideological trick. If you allow me to, to put it, things like mm-hmm. this. I mean. Uh, um, because neoliberalism says that all oh, competition is natural, and you you cannot I mean you can survive if you only if you are competitive enough and you work hard enough. You know, this ideology mm-hmm. is, does not. It's if you only stay here. I mean, only uh, offer this this kind of uh, ingredient. If you put it like this, uh, that would not not be enough. You know, to be a, to, to to seduce people. What you mm-hmm. need is to transform work and working hard and competition into something very positive. No? And I think mm-hmm. neoliberalism does that. I mean, basically, neoliberalism is about saying that uh, okay, you work hard, but work actually is fun. Well, work is 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 nice to work because you develop as a personality. You know, it's you become yeah. more creative. You and so on and so forth you know the discourse you know and all this self-help literature is about some work. of it is about that yeah how yeah. to evolve as a person by you know being more competitive you, you are able to if
0: you meditate
1: a bit you can be more uh, more competitive and things like that so yeah, uh,
0: the uh, and the problems <laughs> are basically gone yeah
1: yeah yeah. and I, I think this kind of approach is also related at least inclusion this is very visible to you know the fact that the west but inclusion is also uh, uh present this uh this tendency uh that um, that industry is no longer or is is in a sense uh become becomes secondary by comparison with i don't know uh, IT uh, or uh, the virtual technology you know um what, what I, I'm trying to say here is that Neoliberalism, at this point at least, uh, uh, tries to only focus on this kind of uh, jobs that seem more creative, more fun, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and exclude all the jobs that are repetitive, boring, hard. You know, they don't bring any kind of self, de- uh, self or any kind of development for 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 the individual. Like, you know, you work in a mall. How can you develop as an individual there? I mean, it's 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 nuts and, mm-hmm. and uh, they simply go for that I mean work because work is fun I remember this Hollywood, uh, Hollywood recipe I mean when they try to, to have an interview with, with a star or with a, an actor they usually said that they had fun That's, that stuck in my mind I mean <laughs> <And> in a <laughs> sense it's, uh, it's, it's interesting as an ideological you know uh, ideological thing so uh, yeah the problem with Cluj once again is that it hides away I mean uh, the fact that most of the jobs are not are not fun and creative, not mm-hmm. even those in in uh, IT are like that. I mean, I think not very few jobs, not very ma- I mean, very few jobs actually have this quality of being uh, of allowing you to be creative and uh, also have some fun. I would say that I'm among the lucky ones because you know uh, I can read books and write and. <laughs> but uh, not. I, I think IT is not among that. But the, the discourse is that, yeah, you can have that kind of job. And, yeah, uh, and I think may- we have to criticize that. I think that, that needs to be criticized.
0: No, definitely. Def- I find myself uh, uh, reproducing this discourse quite a lot. And I think... Uh, I mean maybe maybe I'm distancing myself a bit from the Marxist tradition, but I think an introspection is sometimes needed for people to understand why they are saying certain things mm-hmm. and It's quite sad actually, because I realize coming from such a small town, my town has around fifteen thousand people at maximum mm-hmm. it's a post industrial town most of most of the industry is gone, basically mm-hmm. cultural mm-hmm. attractions are only now starting to appear more or less mm-hmm. so So if you don't have a job in my town there is a high chance you might end up gambling all your money or drinking all your money. And for yeah. so long, I think since 1989, my parents have been saying this to me, jobs have been like ways of, sal- of, of, sal- of saving people. Basically it was like the salvation army, you know, mm-hmm. Jobs were there to mm-hmm. offer you a new life to, even though the, that life was not necessarily a lot of quality because those people used to work, I don't know, as um, making clothes, for example, sewing mm-hmm. or weaving mm-hmm. or something. But, it offered them the chance not to throw themselves into alcoholism mm. or into gambling addictions mm-hmm. and it's it's unfortunately sad because i think there should be i think i think maybe maybe i'm also a bit optimistic in this but maybe when there is a strong state with a strong emphasis on culture and culture outside of work and also for leisure mm-hmm. i think the prospect of falling into into those bad habits when you don't have a job are, are diminishing considerably mm-hmm.
1: yeah I agree with that. I mean, having a job gives you dignity, not only money. And yeah. uh, but when when the public discourse is that you know uh, your job is not is worthless or is is, is, is I mean is not wor- worthy enough if you compare yeah. uh, compare it with other jobs and uh, well that dignity you know vanishes because you you are not you you want something else and you you. Okay, I think you got the point. <laughs> the no, point no, earlier.
0: I do. I, I did. But it's, it's an interesting conversation because I actually, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big reader of this financial magazine in Romania. And maybe it's like the equivalent of Wall Street Journal in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Sierra Financia. Mm-hmm. They have a huge mm-hmm. discount for students, and I tend to read it daily. Uh, and one of those, I think, a couple of days ago, they published a table in which they showed which are the highest paid workers in Romania, and mm-hmm. then which are the lowest paid workers in Romania, and uh mm-hmm. And then, of course, you get the IT people. You get the entrepreneurs at the at the top, and then you get and then you get like the the gas people. You know that is mm-hmm. still like this field that has a kind of a high wage. But I was always considering how the IT people are always regarded, especially by parents. Uh, by parents in my generation that think that wow, well, you must get into IT. It pays very well. It's a very dignified job, and mm-hmm. you must not get into the hotel industry. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Accommodation and I don't know uh, how do you call that uh, industry, which basically pays so little and completely, you know, breaks you down to breaks you as an individual. Hmm.
1: Yeah,
0: I, and it's very I agree with that. <laughs> but Chiprian, I think we're approaching the one hour mark, but I, I honestly think this conversation is not ended at all. And, uh, and maybe if you have some time in the future, we would love to have you again yeah, to... Sure. to to discuss maybe even more abstract notions, you know, like neoliberalism and school, because I, f- I think that's, that's one of the, maybe that's one of the fields where neoliberalism is making itself heard the most in schools. And mm-hmm. I think nowadays you see such a huge surge of people putting their kids through private school, private kindergartens, mm-hmm. pri- middle schools, private high schools. And I'm, I'm like, why, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, that would be interesting to discuss about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Okay, thank you so much, Tiphren, for this conversation. Honestly, it it was so lovely. And uh, and if you can offer us a link, and I'll put it in the description to some of your p- publications, so people can read them and maybe reach out to you. Would that be okay? Or
1: uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I can help uh, spread the message. But...
0: <laughs> we need we need people like you. Thank you so much, Jiprem, once again. Yeah, thanks also, for this was a Left Porch Podcast, a podcast hosted by students from the Boarding and Labor Alliance. Up until next week, I hope you all have an amazing, amazing time and let's criticize neoliberalism together. <laughs> well thank you so much for listening to this episode and thank you so much for tuning in to left Forge and supporting our work we are just a bunch of students that love to do podcasts love to talk about labor and anything related to it and just love to have a good time so we're very thankful to our friends that help us make this possible we're very thankful to our guests and especially to ciprian talking to you ciprian and i'm talking to you directly has been a huge pleasure and a huge inspiration for me i have to say Coming from a Romanian background in which being apolitical was the norm when I was younger, nowadays being able to carry such a conversation of such weight with you proved me that we still have chances at criticising the current system and at making it better for everyone. The system is not good enough if it's only good for just 10% of the people, or 50% of the people, and to make it good for everyone. So that's what we're trying to do with Left Porch. We also have to be very thankful of the music. These beautiful, beautiful, beautiful compositions you hear come actually from Free Music Archive and are produced by an amazing, amazing songwriter and artist by the name of Lobo Loco, who is from Germany. Please, go ahead and rate this work, download this work and listen to it while you drive to work or while you enjoy just some study sessions at home nowadays with coronavirus. We're gonna see you next week. We're very thankful for having you listening to this. Please enjoy the rest of this composition by Lobo Loco and have an amazing week. And never forget, nothing should be left unquestioned. Everything is political and we must change the system. We are Left Words. Thank you.